All right, you see this picture? Do you know the person who did this picture? They, the person who did this picture is actually a famous painter. A famous painter who sells pictures for thousands and thousands of dollars. I can't say his name. I can't show you his paintings. For one thing, they're kind of weird and inappropriate, some of them. But for another, it would violate his copyright. So I can't share that with you. But this was one of his early works in early elementary school. And Mama saved it. And now it's on his website. So uh, his skill has improved. He kept working at it. Getting better over time. All right, now this next picture is of a famous football player. You say, wait a minute, that's baseball. Yeah, this is a famous football player. This is Patrick Mahomes. About the same year Tom Brady became a professional football player. <laughs> They're going to play each other in the biggest game next week uh, the, for the highest prize in professional football. So where are we going with this? My wife's wondering. Are you guys wondering? All right. We've been doing a, a mini-series on mission possible. That uh, God has called us to a mission. And some people get this weird idea that, you know, you just kind of walk along and then wham, God hits you with it. And then you know, and you got to watch for signs. Last week, we talked about some of the things people say you have to look for. And the truth is, God's done something really simple. Two weeks ago, we looked at you were called to be an ambassador for Christ. And last week, we ended with focusing on let your light so shine. So whatever you're doing, uh, whether you're, you know, a teacher, an administrator, a cop, a border patrol, a business person, uh, a homemaker, whatever you're doing, even retired, right, Jim? You're, you're supposed to let your light shine and live for the Lord and be a, uh, be a, a light and an ambassador for Christ. So back in that day when that first picture or the second picture I showed you, it would have been impossible for Mahomes to take on Brady. Brady was stepping into professional football and, and Mahomes was still stepping into elementary school. Uh, but they're going to play each other next week because they took steps. And they each kept taking steps to bring them to that place. And some of those steps were really small, like that painter. Starting out, we start out roughly. You know what we have in our culture? One of the biggest fears in our culture, it just blows my mind, that one of the biggest fears of young people today is the fear of failure. And so because they're afraid of failing, what do they not do? They don't even try. This first came home to me when Kathy and I took a bunch of young people miniature golfing, and we paid, we, you know, we were going to do this fun thing with the teenagers in our church, you know, and we took them all, and we paid for the whole thing, never did it again, but, uh, and, and we took them all, and, you know, and they got out there, and they didn't even try. And Kathy and I are in this, this heated competition, and I won't tell you who won, but she probably will. And, and we were in this heated competition to, to who, see who could do the best. And the kids, they're just hitting the ball all over, not doing anything. And I told them, I'm never taking you guys anywhere that I'm paying. Because they didn't even try, because they were afraid to fail. And sometimes we bring that into the church. We think, 
I can't do big things for God. The only person who could do big things for God right from the start was Jesus. Everybody else had to grow into it. Everybody else had to take baby steps and learn and walk. Benjamin and Meredith sent a cute video of William walking. You know, the run walk of babies. They do great, you know, thump, 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 thump. Uh, but uh, it, it's really cute, a kid learning to walk and, and go, and he's a year old, and so uh, fun stuff. But we forget when it comes to spiritual things, we have the same learning process. You know, it's a good thing kids learn to walk while they're still in diapers because they have the added layer of padding when they fall down. But small steps keep moving you in the right direction and small victories are still victories. So we're going to look at several verses in the book of Nehemiah today. Nehemiah is a book that describes a time when the walls of Jerusalem were broken down and Nehemiah found that out and Nehemiah was concerned and he was burdened and so Nehemiah went there and Nehemiah was able to guide the people and they rebuilt the walls of Jerusalem. Because in their day, in their culture, if a city did not have walls, then people could just come in and steal everything. And that's exactly what had happened in Jerusalem. And so they had to build up the walls to protect the people that lived there so that the thieves couldn't just walk in and take whatever they wanted. And so we're going to see small steps and small victories, but they build up to something really big. So if you have your Bible, in the book of Nehemiah, we're going to start right at the beginning. The words of Nehemiah the son of Hakaliah, it came to pass in the month of Chislev in the twelfth year that I was in Shushan, the citadel, the capital area, that Hananiah, one of my brethren, came with, Hananiah is his brother, one of my brethren, came with them from Judah, and I asked them concerning the Jews who had escaped, who had survived the captivity concerning Jerusalem. Uh, see, uh, Babylon had come in and they'd grabbed up all the people and they'd hauled them away. And now he's saying, what happened to the survivors, the ones who didn't get carried away? And so they, in verse 3, they said, the survivors who are left from the captivity in the province are there in great distress and reproach. The wall of Jerusalem is also broken down and its gates are burned with fire. So it was, when I heard these words, that I sat down and wept and mourned for many days. I was fasting and prayed before the God of heaven. So the first thing that I want you to think about when it comes to small victories, still being victories, is that when your heart is stirred, you must take action. When your heart is stirred, you must take action. You must actually do something. When your heart's stirred up, if you can have your heart stirred up and then not do something, there's something wrong with you. You, you want to help. You want to serve. You want to minister. You want to get involved. Like in this picture, this lady, like you can just picture running out to help this girl who's on the ground under a bicycle. That happened in our neighborhood this week. And so you, your heart gets stirred, and so you go do something. So Nehemiah's heart gets stirred, and so right away he does something. Look at chapter 2 and verse 1. And it came to pass in the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, 
when wine was before him, I took the wine and gave it to the king. He was the king's cupbearer. He said, now I had never been sad in his presence before. Therefore, the king said to me, why is your face sad since you are not sick? This is nothing but sorrow of heart. Now, it says in the, begin, in the next phrase, so I became dreadfully afraid. In, in their culture, if you went sad before the king, the king could have you put to death. You were supposed to be smiles and lightness with the king. Some of our politicians aren't very good at taking bad news. And, and, uh, that, but in that day, he could have you put to death for giving the bad news. And so he was dreadfully afraid, and he said to the king, My king, live forever. Why should my face not be sad when the city, the place of my father's tombs, lies in waste and its gates are burned with fire? Then the king said to me, What do you request? So I prayed to the God of heaven. So his heart was stirred and he felt like he needed to take action. And so the first thing, well, when your heart's stirred, you need to take action. What's the first step of action that Nehemiah took? He prayed. He prayed. That's the first, you need to take action and the first thing you do is pray. See, in, in chapter 2, verse 4, the king said, What's your request? And before Nehemiah even answered him, he prayed to the God of heaven. Now, I don't picture it like this. The king asks, and Nehemiah says, just a moment, oh God, I'm a, you know, he just, a short, quick prayer. Chapter one, it's a longer prayer. We don't always pray the same way, the same time, but we need to always be praying. Look in uh, chapter one and verse four. He says, uh, so it was when I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned. I was fasting and praying before the God of heaven. And then he starts in verse 5, Lord God of heaven, O great and awesome God. And in chapter 2, verse 4, so I prayed to the God of heaven. When you pray, you need to think about who God is. I think it helps to slow down your prayers, to really think about who you're talking to. And who's listening as you share your heart? And remember that when you pray, you are connecting with the Lord God Almighty. This is not just mental gymnastics. I whoop myself into more powerful focus. You are connecting with the heart and the power of the ruler of the universe. When you pray. And James said, there's things you don't get because you don't pray. God wants to bless and answer your life, and you have not because you ask not. You haven't prayed for it. God's ready to give it, but you haven't asked. Now, how many of you have ever spent time in the hospital when you couldn't do anything but lay there in a bed? Anybody? You know, it's interesting. It kind of goes up as we move across the room. <laughs> But actually, my first time, I was 42. Nobody in my family had ever had a blood clot. I was 42. I was in the hospital with a blood clot. Neither side of my family, anywhere, anybody had ever had it. It was really weird. But you're laying in bed. All you can do is just lay there. You can't do anything. But you can pray. 
I want you to think about this. Some, some point in your life, you're going to be on, in a hospital or you're going to be on home care. Or you're going to be somewhere where you feel like you can't do anything. And you want to do something. Sometimes your prayers will have more power than all your actions combined. Prayer is connecting your heart to God's heart and His power to your needs. Your prayers can well accomplish more than anything you would do. When you cry out to God, He hears your cries and He responds in love. When your heart is stirred, take action, pray. And then maybe do something. But start with prayer. Now, the third thing I want you to think about is that the most important skill you need is a willing heart. The first public plea for an offering recorded in the Scripture, uh, do you remember where that was? When, when uh, they were getting ready to build the tabernacle. And so Moses gathered a congregation together, and he told them to give. And here's what he said. Take from among you an offering to the Lord. Whoever is of a willing heart, let him bring it as an offering to the Lord. I've shared with you before that when I was a kid, we were on vacation. We visited in a church. And in a church, the um, deacons did the ushering. And they had long poles. And they had a little offering bag at the end of that long pole. And so it was just long enough for one over here and one over here. They could get all the way to the middle. And they would hold that in front of you until you put something in. Now, normally, my dad would put in the offering for our whole family. And we were on vacation, so dad didn't have small bills, you know. He had a bunch of 20s in his wallet and some traveler's checks. Old stuff, right? Before credit cards. I'm old. But, uh, and, and so the, this guy sticks out, and so dad puts a 20 in for the family, and then the guy goes next to me. Well, I never had money, and if I did, I always spent it on candy, and that's why I'm diabetic now. But uh, he, he, so dad had to get out more money and hand it to me, so I, and then he stopped at my brother. And they stopped in front of everybody till everybody put something in. And so you know what you learn to do in that church, always have ones with you when you go to church, right? Okay, listen, we have an offering box back there. I encourage you to give. God commands it. It's a blessing to the church. It's a blessing to you. It's a win all the way around. But it needs to be a willing heart. There's no benefit, spiritual benefit in your life if, if you're not, doesn't come from a willing heart. Although I did see a funny church comic once. It said, um, God loves a cheerful giver, but Pastor Bill happily receives from grumps. But, but there needs to be a willing heart. Paul even said that the church in Corinth cautioned that before they give, there must be a willing mind. Now, I've been in churches where they're like pressured people to give, to give, to give. And the Bible almost does the opposite. Get your heart right with God and then the giving will come naturally. But don't give till your heart's right with God. Giving and serving come naturally to those who have a heart stirred by the Lord. Look in chapter 2, verse 17. Chapter 2 and verse 17. 
Then I said to them, you see the... Now, by this time, he's in Jerusalem and he's talking to the people that are there. So he says, um, back, you see the distress that we are in, how Jerusalem lies in waste and its gates are burned with fire. Come, let us build the wall of Jerusalem that we may no longer be a reproach. And I told them of the hand of my God, which had been good upon me, and also of the king's words that he had spoken to me. So they said, let us rise up and build. Then they set their hands to this good work. They rose up to build. They put their heart into it. They put their hands into it. Turn over to chapter 4. We're going to look at one verse there. We'll look at several in chapter 4, but one right now. Chapter 4 and verse 6. So we built the wall, and the entire wall was joined together up to half its height, for the people had a mind to work. One of the strangest things in Christianity, in American Christianity maybe in particular, is that it's sometimes hard to get enough workers to do things. And we are amazingly blessed as a church because not only do we have women volunteering to serve in ministries, we have men volunteering and serving in ministries. And a higher percentage of men serving in different uh, ministries in our church than, than the average church has. But that's, that's the normal thing. The most important skill you need is a willing heart. My dad was Sunday school superintendent for a lot of years for a large church down in Tucson. And he used to tell people, listen, you only need two skills to come here and be able to teach. You need two things, a love for God and a love for kids. Everything else we can teach you. If you don't have a love for God and you don't have a love for kids, you can't teach here. Everything else is learnable. You have to have that willing heart, that heart that connects to God and connects to people. And that's the most important thing that you need. And unfortunately, part of moving forward is removing the trash from the past. Removing the trash from the past. Have you ever tried to do a remodeling thing? What happens when you start remodeling? You have a way bigger mess than you had before, right? You, you got to tear things out, sometimes rip walls. You got to uh, replace stuff, repair, all kinds of stuff. Look in uh, verse 10 of chapter 4. Then Judas, oops, no, yeah. Then Judas said, the strength of the laborers is failing, and there is so much rubbish that we are not able to build the wall. See, when the wall got broken down, the walls were made of blocks of, of rock or brick. And so the wall was built up, and when it got knocked down, some of those got broken. And some of them they could reuse, and some of them they couldn't. And some of them they had to clean up a little bit. And, and there's just piles of rubbish. And not only are there piles of rubbish from what had broken before, but the building process leaves garbage. Uh, Richard and Sue were talking about the new house they just moved into. You know what they have in the street all around their neighborhood? Dumpsters. <laughs> because they're building, they're constructing, and there's dumpsters, and workers are just throwing garbage into those dumpsters and filling them up and hauling them off because that kind of building produces trash. And you have to remove the trash 
to get to the right path. And Hebrews 12.1 talks about laying aside every weight and the sin which so easily besets us or so easily ensnares us. It's, it's like cleaning out your closet or your garage. Our lives can accumulate junk. Stuff builds up. Have you noticed how difficult it is to develop a good habit and how quick it is to develop a poor one? In your closet, you can go through all your clothes and give what you don't use to Goodwill or to the women, women and kids with against abuse. Garages fill up and stuff you never, never plan to use again, but it's too much work to go through and figure out what to do with it. You know, in December of 2018, my wife did something really bad. It's time for me to confess her sins to you. The uh, we we developed termites. We'd never had those before Megan moved back in, uh, and we had termites in the house. And <laughs> sorry about that. So I had blown out my left knee. Remember that was the start of the long saga before I finally got my knee replaced, and so that I couldn't do anything. And they had to come in, and the termite people said. You have to pull everything out from the walls, in the garage, everywhere, and you have to, they got to drill in the foundation and do all kinds of stuff and pump that treatment stuff in there, and, and we got it all done, and, and so far, so good. Uh, but uh, Kathy found something out when she started pulling all the stuff out of the garage. I had how many dump spots in the garage? A, a dozen four or five, and she, she found these little spots of all this stuff. And then she had this, this great idea that she'd pile it all up in one spot in the middle of the garage, and, and when it was cleaned up, then we could actually park in the garage again, which was genius because I probably would have never got to it before. And then we finally got it all cleaned up. And now when I need something, I know where my tools are. I know where my screws are and where the nails are. And I know, and I go out and I get it and I use it and then I put it back and, and I love it. But it had just accumulated. How did that start? Well, I was working on something and I got done with it. And if you're like me with a household project, when you're done, you want to be done. You forget the last stage is always clean up. And so I just stick it somewhere. And, and then I'd stick up, well, there's this dump spot. So now, oh, well, that dump spot's filled up. Oh, look, here's another one. And our lives can get that way. We do things out of habit. We do things because that's the way it's always been done. We don't think about it. And sometimes you need to remove the rubbish from your heart and soul so that you can pursue the path that God has for you. Um, we're bombarded by worldly ideas all the time. Some of you had people who belittled you when you were a kid, and so you think you aren't good enough to do anything for God. Some people don't have kids. I had a person who told me they'd we were talking to them about serving in children's ministry, and, and that person said, well, God didn't trust me with kids. I can't serve with kids. The fact that you didn't have your own children has nothing to do with the heart you could have 
with others. And that lady learned that and had a great ministry with kids. The God of heaven is waiting to hear from you, and he is eager to help you rebuild your life. And sometimes you need to get rid of those attitudes that have been holding you back and that stuff that's been turning your attention away from him. And you know what? Some of you guys might need to get rid of your video games. (gasps) Pastor said that in church? Listen, if your video games are distracting you from following the Lord, if you wake up in the morning and you're thinking about your video games and you race through your work so you can get it all done, so you can get to your video games, you need to get rid of them or at least do a sabbatical. Ask your parents to lock it up somewhere where you can't use it for a while and, and, and get serious about turning your heart toward the Lord. For some, it might be reading fiction books or watching television or all kinds of stuff that can creep in and get in the way. John says it this way, 1 John 2.15, Do not love the world or the things that are in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Now, when I was a kid... I was raised in church, didn't get saved till I was a little bit older as a teenager. But uh, when I first heard that verse, I thought, if you love the world, God didn't love you. I had it backward. So let's say, if you love the world, then you're not loving the Father. See, you have to love God first, and you have to love God most. And if you're loving the things of this world, you can't also love God the way He wants to be loved. I'll give you a crude illustration. If a man gets married, he's supposed to just love and be faithful to her, right? If he's not, does she feel cherished? Not at all. And God doesn't feel cherished when we put other things in front of Him. So remove that stuff that's getting in your relationship with God. Part of moving forward is moving the rubbish out of the way. Number five, do not let obstacles or obnoxious people hinder you from working for the Lord. Do not let obstacles or obnoxious people hinder you. Uh, We're back in chapter 4. Look at verse 9 or verse 7. Now it happened when Sanballat, Tobiah, the Arabs, and the Ammonites and the Ashdodites heard that the walls of Jerusalem were being restored and the gaps were beginning to be closed, that they became very angry. And all of them conspired together to come and attack Jerusalem and create confusion. Nevertheless, we made our prayer to God, and because of them, we set a watch against them day and night. I love that combination. We set our prayer to God, and then we set a watch. There were obnoxious people trying to stop them, trying to hinder the work they were doing, and they would not stop. Uh, Look down at verse 13. Therefore, I positioned men behind the lower parts of the wall at the openings, and I set the people according to their families with their swords, their spears, and their bows. And I looked and arose and said to the nobles, to the leaders, and to the rest of the people, Do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord, great and awesome, and fight for your brethren, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your houses. So that was smart. 
He put them by family so that when a man was fighting, he wasn't just fighting some stranger. He was fighting for the people of his own house and, and seeking to help them. And then he adds in verse 15, And it happened when our enemies heard that it was known to us that God had brought their plot to nothing, that all of us returned to the wall, everyone to his work. So it was from that time on that half of my servants worked at construction, while the other half held the spears, the shields, and bows, and wore armor, and the leaders were behind all those of the house of Judah. Those who built on the wall and those who carried burdens loaded themselves so that with one hand they worked at construction, and with the other held a weapon. Every one of the builders had his sword girded to his side as he built, and the one who sounded the trumpet was beside me. Have you ever tried to work in construction? I've done construction work a couple different times. And uh, trying to work lifting blocks up to build a wall with a sword at your side or trying to carry stuff with a sword in your hand, that makes it even more challenging. But they had enemies. They had no option. They had to uh, try and protect themselves. They were bombarded by the enemies and, and what was going on. Look down in verse 21. He said, So we labored in the work. Half of the men held the spears from daybreak until the stars appeared. Now, we live in a culture that's different. We do have a wall around our yard, but that wall is not really designed to keep people out. It's short enough. Anybody could jump over it. It's thin enough. Any car could drive right through it. It's mostly designed to keep pests out, and it works for the most part except for cats. And uh, <laughs> doesn't work for cats. Nothing works. Well, something does, but it's illegal. Um, but <laughs> Georgia loves cats. The really weird thing, she loves cats, and she loves me anyway. So, and uh, But... Obnoxious people and obstacles will come up, and, and you'll try and do something to help somebody. I've known people, they, they've tried to serve like with teenagers, try, and then the teenagers are rude, and so they, they just quit. Years ago, in fact, Jim Reeves and I hired somebody to do landscaping work around the church, and, and we told them specifically, you're going to work for us. Don't listen to what anybody else says. If anybody fusses to you, just tell them, listen, you talk to Jim, actually was the point guy on it. So you talk to Mr. Reeves. Don't worry about anything else. And then one person fussed at him, and he quit. Because one person fussed. Let me tell you, if you're going to quit when one person fusses, don't even start. It's going to happen. If you're going to quit when somebody fusses, don't ever have kids. <laughs> it's going to happen. So you just keep going. You know, when I, when I uh, was first becoming a pastor, I had served in church. I was a business manager and a business executive, and I'd also served in church at the same time. And so I had a lot of experience in church. I'd been on leadership teams. I'd served in a college. and and uh, But when I actually became the pastor, so you candidate and they vote. And so they ask me, uh, what vote, what percentage of vote do you need to be called to be the pastor? Do you need 100%? Because some pastors, they, I got to have 100%. If everybody's not behind me, I'm not coming. And so they asked me that, and I said, oh, about 93.5% or so. 
They're like, 93 and a half? Where did that come from? I said, well, you know, if 11 out of 12 was good enough for Jesus, it ought to be good enough for me, right? Jesus did not have a 100% approval rating from his followers. You're going to have some people fuss. Don't let it stop you. Keep serving, keep doing, keep growing. You are servants of the Lord, great and awesome. I think it says that again in chapter 4. Yeah, verse 14. Remember the Lord, great and awesome, and fight for your brethren. You are servants of this Lord. And so we're bombarded by messages and at times even harassed by Satan. Don't quit. Do the next right thing. Don't let obstacles or obnoxious people stop you. And then number six, small steps taken in the right direction lead to big accomplishments. That little girl's working hard. She's going to make it all the way up there and find the lion at the top. No, not really. But look in chapter 6 and verse 15. Chapter 6, verse 15. So the wall was finished on the 25th day in 52 days. The wall was finished in 52 days. Now, if you're working with the note sheet in your bulletin, there's a little box there and it has a word in it. What's that word? I said, what's that word? The word is what? What? So what goes in that box? Well, I don't know what goes in your box. I have an idea what goes in mine. What could you accomplish in the next two months if you put your heart into it? What could you accomplish this year if you put your heart into it? What? What's the next step? What habit could you start? What habit could you stop? What habit could you change that would improve your life and ministry? What one thing could you start doing that would move you greater in a more positive direction? What if today you started praying for some unsaved people that you know, and you made a commitment that you're going to pray for them every day, and just pray for them every day? And what difference would that make in your heart? What difference could that make in their life? What if you started thanking God for His grace and goodness every day, intentionally? Maybe start a gratitude journal every day, put something down. Aren't you doing something like that this year? Kathy is doing a gratitude journal, and she's just writing something down, something good for one day. And one day, she told me she was having a little trouble figuring out what to put on there, and, and, and uh, she didn't know what to write. And so, yeah, I gave her a hug and kiss and said, you're married to me, baby. It's a good day. She said... <laughs> I'm having trouble knowing what to write. <laughs> like, I didn't even speak. But, you know, would, would your gratitude change your heart? I tell you, it will. If you intentionally try and be grateful, it'll change your heart. You change your attitude. It changes your direction. You look at life a little bit differently. And would your joy increase if you did that? The most Important skill you need is what? We said it earlier. What's the most important skill? A willing heart. A willing heart. 
The first step is prayer, but the skill is a willing heart. So what small step could you take to move forward on your spiritual journey? Nehemiah worked with normal people. Some of them were farmers. Some of them were homemakers. Some of them were politicians. Normal people who had limited skills. And they were working without power tools and without mechanical lifts. And they built a wall around an entire city in 52 days. Granted, it was a smaller city than Casa Grande, but nonetheless, it was still a major undertaking. And they did it because they worked together. They were willing. They worked together. They didn't stop. They didn't let obstacles stop them. They moved the rubbish out of the way. They didn't let obnoxious people stop them. They just armed themselves to protect themselves against them. And God strengthened them and helped them and blessed them in the work. And then it was done and they could all celebrate. And we're going to face challenges and obstacles and maybe some obnoxious people. Hopefully you're not going to be the obnoxious one in somebody else's life. We're going to face health concerns. We're going to face physical difficulties, financial struggles, relational difficulties. But we're never going to face them alone because we walk with the omnipotent one and he walks with us. Like the Jewish people with Nehemiah, we serve the Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God. As Hananiah the prophet told Asa, the king of Judah, The Lord delights to show Himself strong on the behalf of those whose heart is loyal to Him. A willing heart. That's where it starts. So, on your mission, small victories are still victories. Don't you love that picture of that girl? (laughs) Yeah! Who knows what she just did. Small victories are victories. Keep focusing on what God is doing. I I appreciate Shirley sharing a praise, no broken bones. That's a victory. Didn't feel like a victory when she fell, but it's a victory. And we rejoice in what God is doing. We pursue a mission that is possible because we walk with the one who makes all things possible. Father, I pray that you would help us to keep being faithful, keep being challenged, keep being encouraged. Help us to remove the things that are a hindrance to lay aside that weight or that sin. Help us to focus our hearts on you and walk with you. Thank you that you are willing to forgive our sins and to save our souls. In Jesus' name, amen.